Hello, and welcome to the City Grace Podcast. We're so happy you've decided to join us today as we learn how amazing it is to follow Jesus. Enjoy the message. Again, so beautiful, so wonderful to feel the presence of the Lord in this room, to, to see those that are receiving healing. And, and this morning, I, I think it goes right along with what I feel like God's put on my heart. I've spent a lot of time this week um, developing a sermon, threw that one away, developed another one, threw that one away, and God just working and, and talking with me, I believe, I hope, and um, something that I feel is, is right in line with the theme of this service so far and what we've seen God do so far, and talking about purpose and suffering and healing and those kinds of things, and if I can set the stage, and, and, and I'll try and, and be brief, I'm, I'm aware of the time this morning, but uh, if I can set the stage for this, I, 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 just, I, I think there's a lot of healing that, that can happen for a lot of us, and I think that a lot of times when we come to God, there are things in our lives that have happened to us, happened around us. Um, and it, it, it leaves, life can leave a lot of scars. Life can leave a lot of scar tissue. And, but there is healing. That is one of the things about Jesus that is so beautiful when you look at his life and the story of, of his public career is that he was a healer. And we know him today as our healer. And I hope by the end of our service, we're going to come up to the front and sing a song at the end and everything. And I hope even at that point that, that all of us in this room can come forward and whether you're comfortable lifting your hands up high or maybe keeping them close, just to have a moment where you consciously just open your hands and, and let some things go out of your life as you begin to trust God to bring you healing. And can I get a testimony that God is a healer, that he can heal? And, you know, in following Jesus or being a Christian or, you know, whatever phraseology you want to use, it has always been about trust, it's always been about trust. From the very beginning, it has been about trust. The Bible word for this, of course, is faith, and there's reasons why I like the word trust a little bit better. I think faith's kind of gotten this, this kind of dumbed-down understanding to where we think of faith purely as something mental. It's something we believe, you know. And, but trust, I, I think, speaks more to what the Bible's talking about when it talks about faith. And, and the trust kind of leads us to ask ourselves, what are we going to do based on what we believe about Jesus and, and who he was? And, and it's always been about trust in following Jesus. From the very first followers to us now in 2019, it's about trust. Trust in a plan that honestly, I'm a pastor and I'm letting you know up front, it's, it, God's going to require you to trust in a plan that does not always make sense at first. Can I hear an Amen. He's going to require you, require us to trust him in circumstances that just don't seem to add up. Trust in a power that, it, that seems weak at first glance. I mean, when you look at Jesus and when he was crowned king, when he was made king, it was on a cross. It's when he laid his life down and trusting in that kind of power is hard for us when we've only ever known the other kind. Trust in a process that can honestly seem a little bit random. It's, it's, the, it's the increasing surrender of ourselves based on that trust, the increasing surrender of, of every part of ourselves to a, one, a someone, a spirit someone who is, who is unseen and, and who is unlike us. And by definition, if he is God, he is so far above us that, I mean, honestly, we have a, we have a hard time sometimes kind of understanding him. And so there is this required surrender of our understanding. There is a surrender of our behavior, surrender of our words, surrender, and this, this is a really hard one, surrender of our will at times to, to this one that we have been called to trust. 
But our surrender is, is, is what we do as evidence of our trust. The amount of our surrender is actually, it actually becomes a measure of how much we trust him. And, and then there's a whole nother level of difficult when it comes to trusting God and surrendering to God in, when, when we think about all of the suffering and maybe even the confusion that we have experienced in this life. Suffering and doubt and confusion and questions and, and a lack of clarity on, on what things mean and why things have happened. That's a tough one. That's a hard one. As a pastor, the one word I dread hearing from people whenever I speak with them or counsel with them is this word right here. Why? Why is a, it's a hard one to answer. And, and, and you know, I, I dread this word not because I think that God is like, random or cruel and like I as a pastor you know I'm supposed to be a company man and cover for God like I don't have any of that kind of thing but I, I think this question right here when we understand how little we know how little we understand of why God allows some things in our lives it causes me to admit maybe us to admit that there is much of what God is up to that we simply don't understand and we're going to suffer and it's going to hurt sometimes and God is still going to ask us to trust and eventually to surrender our hurt and our questions and our doubt and our confusions over to someone who's unseen. Someone who sometimes it, it seems like he's quiet. Sometimes it might even seem like he is missing. Come on, somebody. Can I hear an amen from somebody who knows what I'm talking about? There are some times when we suffer things that we just do not understand why. And man, this can be a heavy thing for us sometimes. God, why the sickness? God, why the pain? Why did he leave or, or why did she leave? Why didn't they think that I was worth staying for, right? What could I have done differently? What could I have been different than I was, right? What's wrong with me? What is going on with me? God, why would you allow that to happen? God, why wouldn't you step in? Why wouldn't you come when I called? And life can be full of circumstances and pain and suffering and episodes that, that just leave us asking the question, why? And the thing is, once we get to the place where our doubt outweighs our trust, when that balance is upset and doubt outweighs trust, that's when we can lose faith. That's when some end up walking away from God. Because God, I've tried. God, I, I trusted you for a while, but the doubt got heavier and, and heavier. And, and I'm not sure that I trust anymore because I can't understand what's going on. And that's, that's really the issue, right? That we don't understand whether or not we can understand. I'm not sure I understand why, so I'm not sure that I can trust. I'm not sure I understand how, and so I'm not sure that you're even hearing my prayers. And listen, if you're here this morning, and maybe this has been part of your story, maybe this is why you walked away before. Faith never really became your faith, right? And, and, and maybe you look for a different answer, a different solution. Listen, I get it. If I'd been in your shoes, I probably would have walked away too. I don't judge you this morning, but I want to kind of diagnose the problem so that we can move forward into something brand new today. But today, listen, I don't pretend to come with an answer for all your pain. I, I am not up here today to, to try and explain God to you today so that you can walk out that door with zero doubt and zero questions and, and really it not even be a thing of trust anymore because you understand everything. But my prayer this week has been all week long, God, shift our perspective. 
God, somehow help us to see you in a new way that can build back some of that trust that has been lost, that can build back that faith that has just been assaulted by all of our doubts. And God, can you help us and give us reason to trust you again? Or maybe if we're in the struggle, God, can you give us something today that would give you reason to trust you a little bit deeper than we have before? And there's good news. I'm here today to tell you good news. I think there is something for you. And if you're hurting this morning, listen, there is something you can take away from this. If you're hurting this morning, there is healing for you. You don't have to leave this place the same way that you came. And today I might not answer all of your questions, but I think today if you'll stick with me for a little bit, you'll see that God is not absent, that God does in fact hear, that God is not forgotten you. In fact, God has a plan for you. God has a plan for every single ounce of your suffering and your question and your, your questions and your pain. But to start us off, one of the things that we have to look at is that maybe why isn't the right question to ask? Maybe why isn't the right question to start with? Like we know, right, that wrong questions, they can get us into all kinds of trouble, Right? Like when you ask a lady when the baby's due, and it turns out she's not even expecting. Like that's going to get you into a lot of trouble, right? I, I mean, wrong answers to wrong questions can get us into all kinds of trouble. Wives, please don't ask us if that dress makes you look fat. We are good Christian men, and we don't want to be martyred for our our faith. Let me move on from that one. But wrong questions and, and wrong answers, they can get us into all kinds of trouble. There was a, uh, a little second grader named Timmy. He came home from school one day and came up to his mom and he said, Mom, where did I come from? And she's like froze, right? Stopped what she's doing. It's like, oh, why isn't your dad home right now, right? And, and she takes Timmy into the kitchen and sits him down and she gets out some paper and a pencil and she says, well, you know, Timmy, when, when a man loves a woman, you know, and she starts going into the whole thing, and I mean, she's, you know, drawing pictures, and Timmy's eyes are getting bigger and bigger, and I mean, she's giving Timmy the talk, you know, and, and she gets all the way done, and, you know, so Timmy, that's where, that's where you come from. So, Timmy, why'd you happen to ask me that question today? He said, well, we got a new kid in class, his name's Joey, and he came from Texas, so I was wondering where I came from. It's the, it's the wrong answer. It's the wrong answer. And, and I wish that I could say today that I, I'm here with a promise that, you know, bad things will never happen to you again or all your suffering is going to go away. I wish I could say that I have an explanation for every one of your pains and answer for all of your questions, but I'm not and I don't, but I'm here with a different question to ask. And I think it's the right question to start with. I think if we can shift the questions that we're starting with, that it can actually guide the prayers that we pray in the future. It can actually guide our expectations in the way that we view our suffering, and our pain. Because you need to know that with God, there is always something redeemable in your suffering. With God, your pain is never wasted. The God of all time and the God of all creation is never surprised by the things that surprise us. He's never defeated by the things that take away all of our strength. God is still God. But sometimes we need to silence our old questions and allow trust in a good, good God to give us new questions to ask when we're suffering. 
And there was an episode in, in Jesus' public career that, you know, as I, I was praying about this and, and reading, you know, and, and it, when I got to the Gospel of John, I was reading a passage. And it, it, this episode, this, this little uh, story that happened in Jesus' career, it fascinated me because of how someone's suffering seemed to captivate or fascinate Jesus. And John is the one that tells us about it, uh, tells us about the story. And John was one of the three closest followers of Jesus. And, and, and it's amazing to me, John was with Jesus during his whole public career. And then after it was all over, years down the road, when John was an old man, he looked back and wrote this, this biography of Jesus's public career and kind of was explaining things and sharing things with us, which I think is just amazing. Because Jesus was so absolutely fascinating, and we have a record of, of, of the conversations he had and the things that he did and the way that he felt and walked and, and moved among people while he was here on the earth. And, and, and so John talks about this in, in John chapter 8, and it's in the new part of your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John chapter 9, actually, I'm sorry. And, and John tells us, he starts out actually in chapter 8, telling us about this huge argument that Jesus has had one day. And, and it seems like the, the people that Jesus should have had the most in common with seem to be the people that Jesus was most at odds with. And, and he's in the temple courts, which was another whole setting I don't have time to go into, but it was like one church. It wasn't like one church of many. It was like the one church place. And, and uh, the religious leaders were there. And Jesus has this long, drawn-out discussion. And, and Jesus, just as Jesus seems to do often, he makes those religious leaders so enraged at him by the things that he says, so mad at him by the things that he claims to do and claims to be, that they start looking around for rocks because they are going to stone Jesus to death. They're like, uh, they're just, just uh, beside themselves and looking around. And, and Jesus seems to do this a couple of times in the gospel. He kind of hides himself in plain sight. He's kind of somehow able to like slip away in the crowd and he, he leaves the temple complex. And we don't know if the disciples went with him there, maybe scattered and, and met up with him later. But later on, John tells us that they're, they've met back up and they're, they're walking along near the temple. And, and, you know, and, and while they're going, they come across a blind man who is sitting on the side of the road and begging for money. Now, we've got to understand something about this. In those days, disabilities were seen almost as a curse. Disabilities were seen as a judgment on you for some wrong that had been done. There was either evil over you or maybe either evil over your house or maybe even evil within you. And in that society, like there were no parking spaces up close to the front of the store. There were no government grants to help out disabled people, no building codes to make public spaces easier to navigate. If you were disabled during those days, life was harsh. Life was brutal. And Jesus' followers at this point, they still thought like this. And John remembers this day as they're walking along, just coming out of the temple complex, all of them around, they're walking along, and they see this blind man standing or sitting by the side of the road. In John chapter 9, verse 1, it's talking about Jesus. As Jesus went along, Jesus saw a man who was blind from birth. And what's amazing is that Jesus stops and he looks at this man and, and all of the disciples, because Jesus has stopped, Jesus, you know, all of the disciples stop. But they didn't stop because they saw him first. They stopped because Jesus saw him. The story doesn't start with the man or his story or anything like that. It stops, it's the, the story begins with Jesus seeing someone who's off to the side of the road and nobody else notices him, nobody else sees him, but Jesus sees him and stops and he stares. And so all of the disciples following Jesus stop and stare at this man. Everybody else engages because Jesus is engaged with someone who's broken and, and blind and alone and in pain when nobody else seems to notice. 
And this blind man, this disabled man, is a man by now. He's no longer a child. He was born blind, which means his whole life he's had a hard time of it. His whole life he's been on the outs. He's, he's a beggar, which means his family is no longer taking care of him. He's desperately poor, desperately hungry. Society kind of looks sideways at him. He's an outcast. He's something maybe even a little bit less than human, like there's something evil over you, something evil maybe within you, right? And, and no doubt this man had prayed prayers that seemingly God had not answered. No doubt this man had spent nights wondering, God, why me? No doubt this man had questions about his worth and his value in a society that told him day after day, you have no worth and you have no real meaning within this society. You can imagine how this man must have wrestled with his doubt and with meaning for his existence. But on this day, on this day, and not for any reasons that this man is really aware of. On a, just another miserable day, like all of the other miserable days spent begging in the streets, suddenly the attention of heaven is focused on this one blind beggar. For years he has questioned. For years he has prayed. And today is the day that Jesus stops and notices this man. Mm. Mm. And the disciples are around Jesus, and they've been around Jesus for a while. They know, okay, this is one of those teaching moments. Jesus does this all the time. Jesus is acting interested in this man. Quick, everybody else, let's act interested in this man. Start looking for details. Start paying attention. Maybe start elbowing somebody around. Hey, do you know this guy? Where's he come from? Who is he? What's going on? Something's about to go down. Jesus is never random, even though Jesus always seems to start out things random. And they're wondering, okay, he's the rabbi. We're the students. You know, Jesus, well, we've got to ask him something. about. I know. I know what we should ask him about this blind beggar on the side of the road. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? Of all the questions they could have asked, that's the one they chose to ask. Not, do you have anything we can share with him? Do you mind if we invite him to come along? No, Jesus, who sinned? This man or his parents that he would be born blind? That is not the most sensitive thing to ask. It's not the most politically correct question in the Bible, is it? Jesus, who sinned? It's even a little bit absurd. Like, how could this man have sinned before he was born that he would somehow deserve to be born blind, right? It's not just a rude question. It's not even a very well thought out question. And then, like, what must their concept of God be? Like, the God of all creation, the God who created the power of the sun and who keeps the planets in orbit? Like, somebody broke a rule, and so the way that God gets back at them is he makes a child blind? Like, what, what do you think about God? And, and you know, what's going on? And Jesus, he, he's patient. Jesus knows they're thinking the wrong things. Jesus knows we think the wrong things sometimes. And, and they were right. Jesus, is, he's in full-on teaching mode. He's going to set them straight. And maybe if we'll let him today, he, he can set us straight, give us a, a different way of looking at it. But Jesus tells them, it's almost like Jesus tells them, guys, you, you, want, a, you want a question answered, and you only get so many, but you're asking the wrong questions. So let me start out answering you by telling you this. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. And as Jesus starts answering their question, the first thing he does is crushes their categories for the question. He's like, wait a minute, guys, you're thinking about this all wrong. You're wondering if this is God getting back at somebody. 
for some kind of wrong that they have done. You see a man who has had a horribly painful existence, and the first thing that you want to ask me is, who is to blame? Any guilty folks in the house? Going through bad times? Going through bad circumstances, we have suffering, we have pain, and I'm not trying to trivialize that. And the first thing we want to ask God is, whose fault is this? Who is to blame? And it's like Jesus is telling them, listen, guys, if you can only see his blindness as a curse, if you can only see his suffering as some sort of punishment from heaven, that you, you are missing an entire category of meaning and possibility. It's almost like Jesus was asking them in a sense, isn't it possible that his blindness could actually be adding value to his life and you only see him as somehow less valuable than the rest of us? Somehow you see suffering and circumstance and pain is all in the category of bad. Like the suffering and the pain and the hurting that we go through makes us less fully human than the people around us, right? That they only see suffering as existing in the category of bad things. It's like they're the blind ones. It's like they can't even see the possibility that the God who had created this man could somehow use his circumstances for good. Do you see where we're going with this? Like right off the bat, when we question God and when we doubt God, are we missing an entire category of possibility that maybe, somehow, not on our own, but somehow with God, that this could possibly be seen as something other than bad? But come on, we, we all do this, don't we? We've all done this before. Something goes wrong and God doesn't seem to answer and we think something must be wrong with us. Like remember that time that you were a good Christian for like a whole month? You remember that? You remember that one time? <laughs> you remember that? And you, and you prayed for something and it didn't happen. And when it didn't happen, what did you think? You thought, well, I must not have prayed hard enough. I must not have fasted long enough. Maybe I messed up somewhere. Let me go back and look at my performance to see if I really deserved that blessing. And we pin our circumstances on our performance. We judge what we have by, by, by what we have done. As if somehow God can be manipulated by our behavior into doing what we want God to do. But then there's other times when we know it doesn't work that way. Because there were other times when we were a horrible Christian for like more than a month. And during that time, we, we got away with some things that we know we shouldn't have. We got some blessings that we know that we had not lived up to earning. During the, your grandma used to pray, and there were prayers never answered. Your mom prayed, and God never seemed to answer. Your, your dad asked God for some help, and God never seemed to show up. And there's some of the best people that have ever been on the planet and your help never came as well. And I'm not talking about the dumb things we do. Come on, somebody. I'm not talking about like you spent all your money on eating out and now you're praying, God, why am I broke? Like, no, that's, you know why you're broke. Okay? I'm not talking about that. I'm, I'm talking about things that have happened to us. I'm talking about things like this, this blind man, things we have been born with, things that we were born into. I'm talking about betrayal. I'm talking about hurt. I'm talking about deep wounds in our lives that we know have altered the trajectory of our lives. 
that have affected who we are and how we respond to life. I'm talking about confusion. I'm talking about depression and anxiety. I'm talking about sickness and tragedy and loss. I'm talking about why do you have to say those things? I'm talking about why did she have to leave me with that pain? And now here we are, years later, sitting by the side of the road, and it has been a struggle. Like there are scars. There are things that we are living with that nobody else has to live with so much that the people who know us know us by our scars. They identify us by the things that we have suffered in this life. And maybe they even feel sorry for us. And we hate that, don't we? Oh, if I could just make that go away so that I wouldn't be known by my pain. I wouldn't be known for my scars. And as we sit there in misery, honestly, I'm not making fun of it, in in doubt and in confusion and in desperation and wondering where God is and why life has to be like it is. The question that we can sometimes find ourselves asking God in all of its various forms is, Jesus, who sinned? Like, what's the cause of my pain? What curse am I under? Why am I left begging on the side of the road? Who's to blame for the hell and the chaos that I find in my life? And Jesus is telling them, and Jesus would say to us this morning, you're asking the wrong question and you are leaving God completely out of the consideration, and you are missing a whole category of meaning to your misery. And he goes on and he says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this has happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Like, whoa, whoa, Jesus, are you saying that this isn't a curse? You're saying that his whole life, including this suffering, has been orchestrated for a purpose? Are you telling me that there could be a reason, a a good reason, that this is a part of his life or this is a part of my life? Are you saying that there is a reason that this man is blind and sitting here right now and begging for coins? There is a reason that people know him for his blindness? There is a reason that people know me and what I've been to? There is a a reason that people know who I was? Mm. Mm. And Jesus is saying, yes, But you've got to understand the reason for his suffering will never be found in his past. If you want to find out the reason for your pain, if you want to start asking questions about your suffering, you need to turn from looking at your past and face the God of your future and realize that there is a whole nother category of possibility with God. Have you ever noticed that when when we try and find the reason for our pain, we kind of default to looking backwards? We kind of default to looking backwards or maybe sideways, right? Like, we want to know who we can blame. We want to know, why me and not them? Why me and not him? Why me and not her? We're looking sideways. We're looking around us. Why couldn't it be somebody else besides me? We point our fingers at the sky behind us, and we say, God, where were you? God, why didn't you? Maybe we even get bold and and we bring God into the presence and say, God, not just where were you, but God, where are you in what I am suffering? How could it possibly be your plan that I am here? 
But I'm here to tell you this morning that the God of yesterday, and he is the God of your yesterday, the God of yesterday is still God today. And he still fully intends on being God in your tomorrow. You have divided the timeline at your present and you're only taking the past into consideration. But God is God forever and your story ain't over yet. Turn to somebody and say, God's still going to be God tomorrow. In fact, he's got a 6.30 a.m. sunrise penciled in on his calendar. God's going to be there tomorrow, keeping the earth rotating at 1,000 miles per hour. God's going to be there tomorrow because the tides still need managing. All those deer and all those sparrows, they're not going to feed themselves. All the lilies in all the fields. He just got finished designing the 2019 spring catalog. He's going to be rolling it out soon, coming soon to a field near Hello, God is God yesterday. God is God today. And God will still be God tomorrow. And your story ain't over till God tells the fat lady to sing. Touch somebody and tell them she's warming up, but she ain't saying yet. (laughs) The problem is we've got God locked in the yesterday box. We've got God handcuffed to our tiny understanding of the things that we can see. It's time to let God be God, not just of your tomorrows and not just of your feeling sorry today. It's time to to let God be God of your future. Our God is good. Can I hear an amen? But our God is more than good. He is wise. Our God is good. Can I hear an amen? But our God is more than good. He is undefeated. I don't care what you're facing. I don't care how impossible it seems. I don't care if you can see the answer or not. God is God. Unshakably, undeniably, without question, without rival, without equal. He is always God of everything. And whatever our lot in life, Whatever our pain and our suffering, when we bring all of it into the light of who God is, is, who God can be, if we will let him, all of our doubts and all of our fears and our anxieties, they just they disappear like shadows in the sun when we bring them into the light of God's future favor. Can I hear an amen from somebody? And it's like Jesus is saying, oh, there is a reason for this man's suffering. There is a reason for this blindness. But don't look backward to find the meaning. That'll just lead you to worry that God's not really in control. There is a reason for the suffering. But don't look backward. That'll lead you to be in despair and and wonder if life is just meaningless. But instead, Jesus is saying, set your face forward. Set your focus on the God of purpose and the God of of design and know and, and find peace in knowing that the God of all things and the God of all time, He has a plan. And you are in His plan. You're in His plan. Come on, can we pause right now all over the room? Can you just tell Him? Come on, can you say a prayer right now? Jesus, help me to see myself within your plan. Come on, all over this room, ask Him, Jesus, help me to see myself 
within your plan. Help me to see myself within your providence, within your sovereignty. Jesus, help us, I pray this morning. Jesus, we pray. The thing is, Jesus isn't even done teaching at this point. He still hasn't even healed the guy. And then Jesus makes this cryptic remark in the next verse. And if we didn't know how the story ends, we might not understand. But as I, as I hear Jesus say these words that we're about to read, I imagine, and this is just me, this is just Jared, but I, I imagine that as Jesus says, as he gets that kind of thousand-yard stare, you guys know what I'm talking about? Like where you're, you're talking to somebody, but like your eyes are there, and they wave their hands in front of your face. And as you can tell, like you're, you, Jesus, you're standing here, but you're a million miles away. Jesus, you're speaking now, but you're, you're experiencing something in the future. And as Jesus sees this suffering man, as Jesus sees this man who has been blind from birth, suffering and questioning and wondering and doubting, it's like Jesus looks into the future and he tells his disciples, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. But night is coming. Night is coming. And as Jesus stands there staring at the man, it's, it's like he was downloading all of the pain and all of the questions of this man's life. It's like the father was updating him with, with heaven's reason for this man's plan, or for this man's pain, with heaven's reason for this man's life, with the story of this man. It's like the father was bringing that all into Jesus so that he could see this humble beggar in a brand new way. And as Jesus begins to look at this man and, and his past, but also begins to see the picture of his future. It's like Jesus recognizes something special in a blind beggar man. And where other people only see disgrace, where other people look at this man and see him as somehow less, than, less valuable, where other people see him as only broken or someone to be walked around, Jesus sees something strangely familiar in this blind beggar man. And we might think about it like, you know, how, how could that be? The, the man's condition is unfamiliar to us, and it looks like it's unfamiliar to Jesus. This man looks unrelatable to us. Maybe he's unrelatable to Jesus, and they're not really sure what to do with him. They're not really sure what to, what to say to this man with a disability that is nothing like them. And so they just end up avoiding him because it's uncomfortable and his pain and his suffering. We don't really know what to talk about. So we just walk around. We go around. But Jesus understands something about this man that those who never suffer will never understand. Because to Jesus, the man's present story is familiar with Jesus' future story. See, Jesus understands that in not too many days, he will be sharing something in common with everyone who suffers. With the blind beggar man who suffers with you who have suffered, with your pain and your questions. If you look at Jesus in the moment, it seems like there's nothing in common. It's not the same posture. They're not in the same position. There's not the same need or pain or suffering. Jesus is accepted. This man's avoided. Jesus is followed. This man has been forgotten. And Jesus is saying, well, it's daytime now. Everything looks good for me and my movement now. Everything is bright and shiny and full of hope now. But nighttime is coming to me. And the darkness that has covered this man continually is a darkness that will cover me eventually. And in the suffering of this humble, blind beggar, I think Jesus sees something of himself. Because Jesus knows that very soon he also will be pushed to the side. 
Jesus knows that in not too many days he will be abandoned by family and friends. It's not going to be too long before Jesus is hanging on a cross begging someone to give him a drink that he cannot provide for himself. In not too long, Jesus will be rejected by his own people. Not too many days and nobody will be waving palm branches. They'll be cursing him and spitting on him. He'll be despised and rejected. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Even feeling the questions and the doubts and the wondering and the suffering and the angst of all of us. And Matthew would tell us that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he cried out at one point, My God, my God, why? See, there's the question. Why have you forsaken me? Isn't this our question in suffering? Why, God? Why have you left me? God, where are you? God, why don't you answer? God, what sin have I done that you would close your ears to my voice? God, why is this my life? And I want to tell you today that when nobody else understands your pain, when nobody else has counted your past tears, when nobody else has heard the prayers that have gone unanswered, that Jesus knows, that Jesus sees you, that Jesus understands your doubt, that Jesus has felt your suffering and he understands your frustration. He has lived through your isolation. He has lived through your loneliness. He has counted every tear that you have cried and he remembers every single time that you have called on his name. But the thing is, even we who have suffered, we have pushed Jesus away. Even those of us that hope he can somehow have compassion on us because he knows what we're feeling. We have been the very ones to make him experience the suffering that we want him to save us from. We have pushed him away. We have crossed the street to avoid him. We have made it, put him out of our minds. His suffering makes us uncomfortable. We're not sure what to say to him. We're not really sure how to treat him sometimes. And so we isolate him and we segment him and we give him Sunday and nothing else. And we push Jesus to the side and leave him out of our thoughts. And all so strangely familiar in the eyes of Jesus was the suffering that he saw in a blind beggar that day. And then it's like John remembers the rest of the story and remembers so vividly that Jesus just did the strangest Strangest things. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with his saliva and put it on the man's eyes. And so if you're suffering today, I'm going to have the ushers bring in a bucket of dirt. We're gonna... No, I'm just kidding. We're not doing that. Jesus made mud, put it on the man's eyes. And go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. That word means sent. Sent. Jesus is specific about where to go. There are a lot of pools around there. There were a lot of wells. There were a lot of places this man could have washed, all with different names, all with different symbolism and meaning. And Jesus says, go to the one that means sent. Because you were sent into this world, and this thing was sent to you to reveal God's glory, just as I have been sent into this world, so that my suffering can put God's glory on display. And so the man went and washed, and everybody said he came home. 
He came home. He came home. Can you imagine what that evening was like the day that he was healed? Can you imagine what that would have been like the day that every single prayer that his parents had prayed were answered? Can you imagine what that was like when he came and not sure whether to knock on the door or push it open? Not really sure if he should run around the side and come in through the kitchen door. Or just I'm not even sure how to go home because it's been so long since I have been home. And what I've been suffering has left me outside. What I've been going through has left me cut off and isolated and apart. But Jesus has found me. Heaven today has finally come to answer my prayers. And today is the day. Today is the day. I go home. Can you imagine the celebration on the night when every tear of sorrow was retraced in a tear of joy? Can you even begin to imagine how his pain began to fade? Can you even imagine how his isolation began to be replaced with the laughter of of friends and family and, and begging was replaced with belonging? Being sent to wash turned into being sent home to put God's goodness on display. And although he suffered his entire life, the reason and the meaning for his suffering was never to be found in his past, but it was always to be found in this future that had finally come to pass for this man. There's an answer in the future. There's an answer in God's purpose for suffering. Thank you, Jesus. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? And it says, some of them said, yeah, that's the guy. And other ones said, no, no, it just looks like the guy. They couldn't believe it. There was no category for this. If you were disabled, that was always a curse. You were always disabled. You were always labeled with evil. You were always a reject and an outsider. But with Jesus in the picture, brand new categories open up. Brand new possibilities exist. And it's hard for people to believe it. But he himself insisted, I am the man. And they asked him, well then how? How then were your eyes open? And so his new life began. As he sat down, started the tale again. Let me tell you about the day. That I met the healer. Let me tell you about the day that I met Jesus. Can we lift up our hands and, and thank him for the possibilities that he brings? Come on, all over this room. Can we lift up our voices in our hands and begin to offer him worship and praise and thanks for everything that he makes possible? Mm, Jesus. See, his whole life was redeemed. His existence was recovered in purpose and meaning and and his reputation of suffering. Think about this. What people knew him as gave power to the story of who God had now made him to be. Who you were and the pain that you are living with today will one day give you power in your testimony will one day be a word of praise for God, God's redemption and God's mercy. His life and his reputation showed off God's goodness and he became, became a trophy of heaven's grace. This man became evidence of God 
answering prayer. This man became proof that God sees the hurting, that God is not punishing the wounded, but that God is gathering the wounded so that they can come home. This man became evidence that God has not forgotten you in your suffering, but that God can turn your suffering into praise for your future. This man became evidence that God is never surprised, that God is never defeated, that no matter how impossible it seems and and how forgotten you might feel, that with Jesus there were whole new possibilities open up to us. There are whole new, whole new realities that we will never find without Him. But we'll never find those things by looking in our past. We'll never find those things by looking for someone to blame. It happens when we see God as not only the God of our yesterdays, not only the God of our todays, but the God of tomorrow, the God of new beginnings, the God of healing, the God of healing. All over this room, come on, could you say this with me? God, be my healer. Come on, all over this room, could you close your eyes? Come on, maybe even lift up a hand. Come on, say it right now. God, be my healer. God, be my healer. God, be our healer today. Like the suffering of a blind beggar man, like the suffering of Jesus himself, if you can find it in yourself to trust again, to put all of your pain and all of your confusion, yes, all of your anger and all of your frustrations, if, if you can bring it all and lay it at the foot of the cross, Jesus can say of you as well, this has happened so that the works of God might be displayed in you. Might be displayed. His grace is undefeated. His grace is undefeated. His power is never drained. His love is unfailing. His mercies are brand new every morning, and I don't care what your past, I don't care what your experience is, God can redeem it, and God can give you something that you can never find without Him. God's purpose redeems our suffering and makes it the servant of God's future grace. For more information about City Grace, you can find us online at citygrace.church. We'll see you next week.